Welcome back to our study in the Old Testament book of Ruth. It has been a lovely journey so far, just being able to see God's kind hand and His providence in Naomi's life and Ruth's life. And today we're going to be introduced to a situation that on the outside seems like good luck, but really is the providential hand of God working in Ruth and Naomi's life. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you again for this time that we can open your word and to know that you are behind the scenes orchestrating history itself, not only the stars in the heavens, but even daily life, and help us to trust in your goodness and in your kindness. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So looking at verse 1 in chapter 2, it says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out, went, and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. As we see this passage, Naomi is taking the initiative. She says, we need to figure out provision for ourselves. And it shows the character and worth of her person that she cares for Naomi and wanting to take care of her as well. She wants to go into the field. Now, we don't know which field she's going to happen onto. And yet, the writer of the book of Ruth introduces us in the first verse to a man named Boaz. So we already know that somehow this man Boaz is going to play prominently into the story. The name Boaz is not a very common name. Interestingly enough, King Solomon, now remember, David is a descendant of Ruth and Boaz. King Solomon is King David's son. King Solomon, when he built the temple, uh, one of the pillars of the temple, he named Boaz. Now, it's conjecture. We don't have any further evidence to support this, but it seems likely that maybe Solomon named one of these pillars after his great-great-grandfather in order to declare and to showcase God's faithfulness, his pillars, his sovereignty, his goodness, even to his own family. Again, it's a little bit of speculation, but it is interesting. The name is not common. We have Boaz and the great-great-grandson Solomon names one of the pillar temples Boaz. Interesting textual note. What we do know about Boaz is that he is a worthy man, Scripture says. Now, what makes a man worthy? In the world's eyes, a worthy man perhaps is rich, nice, and has some manners on the outside, maybe Victorian England, a gentleman. But in God's eyes, a worthy man is perhaps best spoken of in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2. Here is the one to whom I will look, one who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word, reveres God's word. We know Boaz to be all of these things, and you'll see as the story continues, he is a humble man, a kind man, that notices the plight of a Moabite widow, a foreigner, and also is a fearer of God's law. Because you see, God's law mandated that when you were farming your fields, you were supposed to not gather every little scrap, but leave some for the poor who would come after you. In fact, you weren't even supposed to farm, you're not supposed to reap even to the very edge of your field. Deuteronomy chapter 24 and Leviticus chapter 19 describes how one was supposed to leave the perimeter of one's field so that the poor could come, the stranger, or in our modern day vernacular, the immigrant, the refugee, those who are not natively a part of the land, 
and who had very little, those who were vulnerable, who were impoverished, you were to leave those edges of the field so that they could come and gather and find some level of provision. It is very interesting then that Boaz is so cognizant of God's word and has his eye even on the vulnerable that he takes notice of Ruth, but that he also instructs his gatherers, as we'll see later on, to take care of Ruth by leaving those edges and adhering to the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law, significantly, is one of the earliest codified law forms in all of human history. And it is also one of the first primary laws in human history that gives rights for what historically would be the unimportant, the widows, the stranger, children, even women as a category. And yet Old Testament law granted rights and privileges and protections caring for the underprivileged of society. Right at the very beginning, we see Yahweh's heart. That's God's covenant name that we've been introduced to early on in the book of Ruth. And God has a concern for these people. He has a concern for Ruth. And as we continue in this passage, Boaz has this field. We're introduced to him. Now, Ruth, unknowingly, is looking for a place to go and glean. And she says, let me just go find somewhere where I can glean. And Naomi says, go. Scripture says, look in verse 3. It's so, it's so simple in its grammar. But the reader is meant to pick up on a bigger story going on behind the scenes. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field and after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, this is not just good luck. In verse 1, we're introduced to Boaz. We know he's going to play a part. And then she happens to go into Boaz's field in verse 3. God is working. We see a providential God who takes notice of this Moabitess, this foreigner, this woman, and says, I'm going to provide for her. It's a big God working out his providence and his kindness. Remember our theme. We're looking at God's providence and kindness as it touches individual lives. We have a big God. Matter of fact, Scripture is replete talking about God's providence and his sovereignty, both in the big and in the temporal and the eternal terms. For instance, God is so sovereign, it says in Psalm 104 that he causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the labor of men. In the book of Jonah, he commands a fish. He also commands a worm to eat a plant, Scripture says. In the book of Isaiah, it says that he calls the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, that he directs the winds. He brings the snow. He brings the rain. He calls the clouds. He scatters the lightning. He sets in place the stars. He knows them by name. And of course, he can still the waters by the voice of his command. This is the providence and the sovereignty and the bigness of our God. And yet, he also takes notice to direct a woman to a specific field where she's going to meet Boaz. Now, the Hebrew actually captures a little bit of this good luck from her perspective um, when it says, um, if we were to kind of translate it literally, the, the verse 3 would read, As luck would have it, the peace belonged to Boaz. But you see, the reader is aware that God is working out his purposes for this situation. That's how the text unfolds for us. Sasson, a commentarian, says this quite, quite beautifully, so I'd just like to read it for you. He says, The labeling of Ruth's meeting with Boaz as chance is nothing more than the author's way of saying that no human intent was involved. For Ruth and Boaz, it was an accident. 
but not for God. The tenor of the whole story makes it clear that the narrator sees God's hand throughout. By calling this meeting an accident, the writer enables himself subtly to point out that even the accidental is directed by God. The powerful message of this text is that although Israel's God is separate and lofty, he is also the one who cares about the individual and in particular who takes notice of the oppressed, the vulnerable, the weak, the distant. And that he reaches down to sinners and meets them where they're at. From the world's perspective, good things may just seem like good luck. And yet, in a person's outlook on life, faith changes luck good luck or good fortune, faith in a big God, faith in a present God, changes luck into blessing and coincidence into providence. Let me say that again. When we have faith in a great big God, it changes luck into blessing and coincidence into providence. Where is God going to work in your life? Did you just happen to come across someone in Kroger? Did you just happen to walk out your door right when your neighbor was out there and you're yelling across the street, how are you doing? Did it just happen that God has met you right where he's at for whatever reason? No, 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 God is working. And be in tune and seeing God's providence and his kindness and taking note even of the daily victories, those small ones, recognizing his hand. I was sitting outside yesterday, my wife and I were talking, me and Jessica, and you know, we're saying we need to celebrate the small victories. I, I mean, like some, some of you are having to homeschool our children now because of the school shutting down, and uh, so we have uh, the kids with us all day. And I was thinking, you know, praise God that this didn't happen in the middle of winter. We can send them out and they can enjoy and play outside. Uh, thank God it didn't happen in winter or the height of summer, this, this shutdown and even quarantine in our culture because our electric bills are actually going to be a little bit less than normal. And I think all of us can say that, that even in the midst of everything going on, there are some things that we can celebrate in God's providence. Did it just happen? Or is God working? Now, across the world, different circumstances, different climates, different places, different outpouring of God's providence and kindness to people where he meets them. But nonetheless, celebrate the small victories. See God's hand. And just as Ruth happened to walk into the field of Boaz, where is God going to happen to you today? Will you trust him, brother and sister? Friend, will you see a big God that loves you and wants you to come into a saving knowledge of him? Oh my Let's have our eyes and our ears open to God. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters and friends who may be joining wherever they're from. Thank you that you are a good, kind God that flings the stars into existence and knows each one by name, the billions of them that there are and the billions of galaxies that hold each billions of stars. And yet, you call the worm and the bird and you provide for the cattle. And as your word says through your son, Jesus, are we not worth more than many birds and beasts of the air? If God clothes the flowers of the field, will he not also clothe us? So help us to trust you. And this day, may we praise your name. 
And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remember Jesus, who said, Peace be still to the waters, died on the cross, gave us life to give us peace with God. And if that Jesus can do all of that, he who said, I will be with you even until the ends of the earth, surely he will keep you. Have a wonderful, blessed day.